Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, everybody. Are you doing well? Man, you know, we just sang a song that draws a line in the sand in our Christian life. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You either sang that this morning and participated because you've experienced the presence of Almighty God or not. Uh, You may be sitting in this place very well, just kind of going through an experience, but never having truly come to know the Holy Spirit of God through the person of Jesus Christ, through His shed blood on the cross. And this morning, we're going to continue our Timeless Truth series and and really kind of look at that line that is drawn for us. Acts chapter 1, if you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to go there. Um, We're going to look at one verse this morning, but in order to understand that verse, I need to take us to a few places and sort of lay out a journey to get us to where we are in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, if you have it, say, I'm there. I'm not, so hold on one second. Okay. Hey, now I am. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, here is what Luke is writing. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, important, to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, basically what Paul is saying right here is this is a continuation of the last letter that I wrote which was his gospel. And so this is a continuation of Luke's writing, of Luke's experience with Jesus. And obviously the book of Acts goes on because this is the birth of the New Testament church. But as he begins, he's reminding them, guys, this is simply a continuation of where we've been. Where have we been and how did we get here? And in order to understand the one verse that we're going to dive into, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we kind of need to understand this. So keep your finger in the book of Acts and back up just a few um, pages, one book actually from John, back to the end of the, the gospel of Luke. This is Luke's first letter that he's telling Theophilus, hey, in the first letter, this is what I did, this is what I taught you, these are the things I told you, and now I'm continuing that storyline. So here's what he says. So Luke chapter 24, this is the last chapter, and Luke didn't write the chapters, he wrote the letter, okay? And so it's important just to know, what has happened up to this point? Jesus has enjoyed the Passover feast with his, with his disciples. He's been arrested, he's been put on trial, he's been beaten, he's been crucified, he was laid in the tomb, he's been resurrected, he's appeared, he's been teaching his disciples for 40 days. And then here at the end of the book of Luke, Jesus appears among them uh, and, and somewhat startles them. Uh, because this is still somewhat of a, of a surprise. And so Jesus drills in on two specific things with his disciples as Luke draws this letter to a close, his physical presence and his prophetic fulfillment. Okay? So in, in Luke chapter 24, <clears throat> Jesus appears to his disciples, and, and he, he simply says, uh, look at verse 39, he says, see my hands and my feet that it is I myself, touch me. Listen to the physical components. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. 
Jesus is drilling down on the fact that it is me in person. It is the same person that, that has, has taught you and instructed you, the same Jesus that called you to come. And we've just spent the last three, three and a half years together. You've seen me teach. You've seen me do miracles. You've seen all these things. It is me physically. Because there was this promise of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, he was telling them, look, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And, and so he's saying, look, this is not the Spirit, this is me. And I love the fact that he's, as he's pressing into this, he says, hey, he showed them his hands, he showed them his feet, and I love it because he says, hey, uh, what else can I do? I'm hungry, give me something to eat, right? Spirits aren't going to eat, but he's a physical being, so he's saying, give me something to eat. And, and verse 42 says, so they gave him a fish taco. Now, your translation may say a piece of broiled fish, but we probably all believe it was just a really good fish taco that they gave him, right? Because it's like, I'm going to eat. And it says, and he took and he ate it. But then he, then he kind of moves from the physical component. I am who I am. I am here physically. I've been risen from the dead. You are witnesses of this. And then he jumps down to the prophetic aspect, right? All these things had to happen because I had to fulfill all this prophecy so that you could witness it, so that you could see it with your eyes and, and testify to what you have seen and heard. And so verse 46 says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Verse 47, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed, get this, in his name to all nations. This is Jesus speaking, beginning from Jerusalem. So this is his instruction to his disciples. Uh, continuing on then in verse 48, you are witnesses, hang on to that word, your witnesses, the people that he's experiencing this moment with are the people who he's lived with, walked with, talked with, who he's taught, who he's instructed, he's given uh, teaching and understanding, they've watched him do miracles, and he's saying all this has to be proclaimed to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power." And then he goes on and he walks with them a little bit further. It says until Bethany. And then he picks up in verse 41. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to what? Well, say it out loud. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, why is that significant? Because now Theophilus is reading this second letter from Luke and they're sitting in Jerusalem. They've continued on, and so now we end up back in Jerusalem. This is the moment after they had had this encounter with Jesus. He drilled down on his physical presence. He has risen physically from the dead. He has fulfilled all this prophecy, and now they are sitting, waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. And so here they sit, and they wait. And so Acts chapter 1, really then this is the setting. And so the followers have received this instruction. They go to Jerusalem. They're waiting just as he instructed them. He promised that he would not leave them alone. He said that I would send you another one, the helper, the spirit of truth. Don Pusick drilled down on that in July so well. This promised comfort or this counsel or this Holy Spirit was going to come and so the first thing I want you to see when we look at this verse is the people that God chooses. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, look what he says. 
I have to get back to it. But you, he says, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, just stop right there. And if you have a pen or a pencil or something, I want you to circle or underline the personal uh, pronoun you. You see it three times right there. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So, who is Luke talking to? Well, we know that he's writing this letter to followers of Jesus. These are people who've placed their faith and trust in Jesus. These are people who just walked with Jesus, just experienced his presence. They saw his miracles. They saw his brutal beating and death and resurrection. And they walked with him. They've taught, uh, been taught by him again. And so now they're experiencing, right, this waiting period. And Luke is saying, but you, follower of Jesus, you, person who has walked away from an old life and chosen to follow this Jesus that you saw crucified and buried and risen from the dead, you're experiencing new life in him. You're about to receive the Holy Spirit of God. And because you are an obedient follower, surrender to the work of God in your life, you will be my witnesses. These are the people that God chooses. He chooses you as a follower of Jesus Christ. This is consistent with Jesus' teaching from the very beginning. If we go back to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, when Jesus called his very first disciples, he saw Peter, Simon, and his brother Andrew fishing because the text says literally because they were fishermen. So they were fishing because they were fishermen. Jesus sees them, and what does he say? He says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's saying, you come and follow me. You walk away from your old life of sin. You choose to follow me, and I'm going to make you something brand new. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you witnesses. That's literally what he's saying. And so he presses into this idea that God calls and uses ordinary people. Does anybody feel ordinary? Does anybody just sort of feel common every day? Praise God, God wants to use you as common, ordinary people. That's all all any of us are, really. We're, We're broken, sinful people before a holy God, but when we choose to surrender our life to Him, guess what? He makes us something brand new. Our life is not the same as it used to be because now God indwells uh, the, the follower of Jesus. He gives us the gift of the Spirit, and, and He begins to make us a follower, a witness. He takes us as followers when we surrender our life, and He makes us a witness. The evidence, listen to me carefully, the evidence of the fact that the Holy Spirit resides in you is that you become a witness of Jesus. Now, there's lots of ways we can go, hey, am I really saved? And and we can drill down on a lot of the theological points, but I believe very clearly this truth that is so true for the New Testament church, so critical for the life of every believer is to understand that if God has called you to be a follower, He's called you to be a witness. And He will empower you to do that. I love Dr. Vance Havner. He once said, every Christian is commissioned. For every Christian is a missionary. It has been said that the gospel is not merely something to come to church to hear, but something to go from church to tell. It has also been said that Christianity began as a company of lay witnesses, and it has become a professional pulpitism financed by lay spectators. 
I'm afraid in so many circles that has become true. See, we don't simply come to church to, to check off some list. We, we come to church because we're passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And, and that we're all part of the mission to which God has entrusted to us. Each with unique gifts, each with unique callings and, and, and such. But we're all called to be part of the mission. It's not simply the responsibility of a paid pastoral staff or other leadership. Folks, listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has called you to be a witness. Literally, I look at this text and I go, wow, as a follower of Jesus, God chose me to be his witness. God chose me to be his witness. Not for any special calling, but simply because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want you to say it out loud with me. Look at me. God chose me to be his witness. Just say it out loud with me. God chose me to be his witness. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God chose you to be a witness. These are the people that God chooses. The great preacher D.L. Moody said, every man and woman who loves the Lord Jesus Christ must wake up to the fact that he or she has a mission in the world of reaching the lost. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a missionary of Jesus. He's invited you to the mission. This is the people that God chooses. So how do we do that? Well, simply put, we are witnesses. Uh, we are witnesses, which leads to our second point, which is simply this. Not only the people God chooses, but I want you to see the plan that God embraces. The plan that God embraces. Back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. There it is. Uh, what are we to do? We are to be witnesses. My witnesses. Luke, now here it's important to understand, this is one of the few times outside the gospel that Jesus is being quoted. Because Luke is simply quoting the words of Jesus. And he's saying, Jesus, these are Jesus' words. You will receive the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Jesus is saying, you will receive the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witness. So God's plan and purpose is, is all about the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's the, the person of Christ. His whole plan centers on being a witness of Jesus a witness is somebody who simply tells what he has seen or heard. Have you ever been to court? Before I got into ministry, I was involved in retail and lots of, lots of robberies, lots of shoplifting, lots of encounters, and I spent a lot of time. I, I did confess to you before, I've spent a lot of time in, uh, in traffic court, but I also spent time in criminal court, right? Um, because I would have to, to bear witness to what happened. And it, the judge was not interested in, well, Dave, what was your opinion uh, about the individual? No, what the judge wanted to know is what did you see and what did you hear? When we become witnesses of Jesus Christ, we simply tell what we know about Jesus. This is what I've seen. This is what I've experienced. It's, it's a personal testimony because I'm a personal witness. Now, let me just interject a side thought here for a moment. Because every one of us will bear witness to something or someone. And it may not be Jesus. We get caught up in our culture. 
And some of you will, will bear witness to political parties and movements and ideas. I almost wore my Cub jersey up here this morning simply as, a, as an illustration. Because when I throw on my Cub jersey, loud and proud, I, I'm bearing witness to something. Well, let me just ask you, when you open your mouth to speak and have encounters with other people, what most commonly comes out of your mouth? Is it something about politics? Is it something about viruses or pandemics or something? Or is it about Jesus? You see, I, I can live in a difficult world and still focus it back on Jesus. We can have disagreements over certain things, but listen to me really careful. As brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the one thing upon which we are unified. It's all about Jesus. You and I will have disagreements on various things. You may be a St. Louis Cardinal fan. I can still love you and we can get along just fine, right? Because we agree on Jesus. We will have, we will have disagreements on various things. But we will not, as a church, allow that to divide us and disunify us. Why? Because the world is looking at us to be witnesses of Jesus. He said, you will know, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. It means that we're unified even if we disagree on something. We will be unified on the person of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. We will be unified on this thing. Because that is the one thing Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. It focuses on the person of Jesus Christ. And if you've experienced life change in Jesus Christ, you bear witness to the person of Jesus Christ, regardless of any other issue that you deal with here on this earth. Anything, we still bear witness to Jesus. Let's continue to make Jesus the one thing that brings us together and, and, and unifies us. Because witness is a key word in the book of Acts. It's used 29 times throughout the book of Acts, either as a verb, they were bearing witness to something, or as a noun, that they were witnesses of something. And a witness is simply someone who bears testimony that includes what Christ is and what he has done. Let me ask you this, what has Christ done in your life? I mean, seriously, what has he done in your life since you came to know Jesus Christ? Here at Southbridge all the time, we say we're passionate about connecting people to Jesus for life change. What kind of life change have you experienced? I, I mean, seriously, keep a log, keep a record. What is God doing in your life today, this afternoon, when you walk away and you hear God's truth proclaimed? What are you going to do with that? How is he changing your life as a result of the, the truth of his word and the power of his Holy Spirit? Because when you experience that life change, you can't help but bear witness to what you have seen Christ do in you and through you. That's what a witness is. It's simply bearing witness to what Christ is, who he is, what he has done. And if you're not experiencing life change, listen to me really careful. Maybe you just need to get really honest. Have you come to the place of giving your life to Jesus? Because if, if you're going to church year after year and you're not experiencing life change, I would question whether you know Jesus. Now, that's not my place to judge whether, what, what's going to happen when you stand before God. But what's really clear in Scripture is that when you come to know Christ, your life is not the same. And I'd be scratching where you got an itch this morning. 
and I might be stepping on toes. I might have gone past preaching to meddling. That's, I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that? I might be meddling because you might be going, well, who are you? Man, I'm a sinner before a holy God, but I can tell you what I've seen. I can tell you what I've experienced. I can bear witness to what Christ has done in my life and what he is doing in my life now. And I want to talk about it. This is his plan. See, just a little further ahead in this story, I love this, because just a little further ahead, if you have your Bible open, just flip forward to Acts chapter 4. Because I love this, because here it is, it's beginning to get played out, right? Uh, we, we see it happening. Peter and John, they're, they're speaking in, in the temple in this portico area. It's called Solomon's portico or Solomon's prayer area in the temple. And, and Peter, just bold, man, with, with courage, you know, in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 14, you don't have to go there, but he says, he, he's starting to just tell the people, man, you denied the Holy Spirit and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Man, I love it because now all of a sudden, Peter, just there's, there's this boldness, there's this courage with which he is bearing witness to Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, so now all of a sudden, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, all these guys are mad at Peter and John and all the other disciples, so they arrest him. They healed this crippled man who'd been sitting at the temple for probably years, they healed him. That was the encounter where they go, hey, uh, silver and gold have I none, but I'll tell you what, I'll heal you instead. So they healed the guy. He walked into the temple with them. Everybody's astonished. Everybody's amazed. Peter's proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is. All the religious leaders get mad. Why? Because I've said before, every time Jesus does something awesome, somebody gets mad, right? When God does something awesome in your life, it's going to get somebody in your life mad, it's just always the way it happens. So in, in chapter 4, <clears throat> greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That's what they were doing. They weren't talking about themselves. They're proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. They're telling what they have seen and what they have heard. They're bearing witness to the person of Jesus Christ. So then uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 8, then Peter, get it, filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, look, I can't tell you. If you're simply mad at me because we heal the guy, so be it. And then I love what he says, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He says, and there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that's the person of Jesus. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, get this, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Because Jesus uses common, everyday, ordinary people to bear witness to what he's doing. God wants to use you. He desires to use you, and the plan all focuses on Jesus. John MacArthur said it well when he simply said, as a witness, we are to simply tell the truth about Jesus. What are we supposed to do as a witness? We're simply to tell the truth about Jesus. What am I supposed to tell? Tell what you've seen and heard. Well, don't I have to memorize some program? Don't I have to memorize a lot of Bible verses? No. Just go bear witness about Jesus. Go tell someone about Jesus. 
That's what he's inviting us to do. Now, it's interesting because the Greek word that is translated here as witness is the Greek word martus, which is actually where we get our English word martyr. So when we press into this, what we begin to realize is that, listen, to be a witness of Jesus Christ is not simply a one-time thing, it's a lifetime thing. I'm going to challenge you this morning to go share the love and grace of Jesus Christ, but I want you to clearly understand this is not a one-time thing we're commanded to do, this is a lifetime thing that we do. And many people through the years, even to this day, there are more people being martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ around the world than there was in the first century. But I want you to see the power with which these guys who experienced the person of Jesus Christ um, were willing to lay down their life for the cause of Christ. And, and for several months, we've been talking about this book. There's some still in the, in the lobby called More Than a Carpenter. If you haven't gotten one, get online, order, do something. Chapter 7 is all simply asking the question, who would die for a lie? These are the guys that knew him best. And if this was a lie, how far are they willing to carry this lie? Let me just give you a quick synopsis. Can I do that? Matthew, the tax collector who turned teacher, was slain by the sword in Ethiopia. Mark, the traveling companion of Paul, was dragged through the streets of Alexandria. Luke, the great physician that wrote this letter, was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. James, the greater, the big James, was beheaded in Jerusalem. James, we call little James, right, or James the less. He was thrown from the top of the temple and beaten with a club after he hit the ground. Philip, who baptized the Ethiopian, was hanged from a tree. Bartholomew, I'm sorry, but it's just the truth, was cut open and filleted like a fish and left to die on the street. Andrew, the fisherman, was left bound to a cross, and he died from dehydration. Thomas, who we say once doubted Jesus, was run through with a lance in the East Indies. Jude, the brother of Jesus, who thought he was crazy at one point, was staked out like a target and shot with multiple arrows. Matthias, who was just brought into the picture in the book of Acts right here, uh, was stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas was stoned by his Jewish brothers. Peter was crucified at Rome with his heels up in the air and his head down toward the dust. And Paul was beheaded at Rome by the emperor Nero. These were the people who lived and saw and spoke with Jesus, who knew him best. And I'm just asking you the question, if they knew him best, how many would be willing to die for a lie? And yet they did. Don't tell me this Jesus isn't real. What is he doing in your life? And if he calls us to be a witness, it is not simply a one-off experience. It is a lifetime experience where we surrender our heart completely to the person of Jesus Christ. So we see the people that God chooses. We see the plan God embraces. The third thing I want you to see in this one simple verse is the places that God reaches. So clear, so evident, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If you're looking at the King James or or even the New American Standard, it says both in Jerusalem, Judea. Because the tense of the phrasing here that Luke is using means both. It's like one at the same time. 
It's not simply that we, well, I'm going to go do this task, and then I'm going to go do this task, and then I'm going to grow up and go do this task. It literally means all at the same time, both inclusive, at the same time, we're going to reach our Jerusalem, which is our community. We're going to reach our Judea, which is our country. We're going to reach our Samaria, which is our continent, and we're going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? We're going to evangelize all creation because we want all creation to come to know this Jesus about whom we testify. Somebody say amen. Both at the same time. I love the way one preacher put it. He said, the light that shines the farthest is brighter at home. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? If we're going to reach around the world, we can't simply try to go be some bright light around the world. We're going to be incredibly bright right here, and that light's going to go further and further and further. And listen, the brighter we are right here, the further our reach. When we talk about a vision to reach the triangle and to reach the state and to reach our country, guess what needs to happen? We need to get on fire for Jesus Christ. We need to learn to bear witness to who Jesus is, to speak of who he is. This is what I've seen him do. This is what he is doing. This is how I see him at work in my life and how he's working in the lives of others. And we need to beckon the Holy Spirit to empower us and enlighten us. It gives us boldness and courage to go bear witness as a martyr for the cause of Jesus Christ. God, don't give me courage for one time. Give me courage for a lifetime. I quote Tozer a lot because I really love him. But he once said, he said, the Holy Spirit could be absent from about 90% of what the church does today and nobody would know the difference. God, let us not be a church that is trying to do something apart from the work of the Holy Spirit of God. The places God reaches, lastly, I want you to see the power that God gives. The power that God gives. He says, but you will receive power when? You will receive power. You will. He didn't say you might. Or perhaps, he said, you will when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when you come to the place of giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, you have all the power. The question is, how do you use the power that has been entrusted to you? The life of a witness is a lifetime process. And we learn to grow in that process. But I've personally discovered that uh, to be an effective witness, we must have this personal Pentecost experience. We must have this moment that we understand that we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit entrusted to us to go be a witness for the cause of Christ. And I've also discovered that no amount of biblical education or instruction can make us truly effective witnesses. We can have loads of theological information. We can have uh, all kinds of data and research and memorized outlines and not be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. Because there is a unique aspect to being a witness of Jesus Christ that is totally dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not about clever tactics. It's simply stepping out in obedience, saying, God, I'm trusting you in this moment. I had a friend named Jerry. He was a youth pastor years ago, and he often told the story when he was in high school. He had a good friend that he was praying for, and he'd invite him to church activities and different things, but, but Jerry was really burdened for his friend. 
And he brought him to this thing at church and he really thought his friend was going to get saved and he didn't. And Jerry was just kind of heavy hearted as they left. And so as they're driving along, Jerry just absolutely heavy and burdened for his friend. He stopped the car, he pulled off on the side of the road and, and he, he made this beautiful evangelistic presentation to his friend. You ready to hear it? Are you ready to hear it? Feel free to use this. He looked at his friend and he simply said this. He goes, isn't there something you need to do? That was his evangelistic presentation. His friend looked at him, he goes, yes. He says, I need to give my heart and life to Jesus. Would you help me? He didn't quote a verse. He didn't quote the four spiritual laws. He didn't pull out a gospel track. He'd been praying for his friend, and in boldness and courage and obedience, he simply looked at his friend and he said, isn't there something you need to do? That's never worked for me, by the way. But it always reminds me, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about my clever tactics or anything else. It's simply taking a step of obedience and allowing God to do what only God can do in the first place. You've heard me say it again and again and again because it has stuck with me for so many years. Dr. Bill Bright, founder and president of Campus Crusade, used to say this over and over and over, and it was simply this, take the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. Take the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. Allow God to do in someone's life what only God can do, but allow him to use you boldly if you're willing to simply take a step of obedience. I don't know if there's any skiers in the house. Anybody love to ski? I grew up in the Chicago area. We didn't have a lot of ski places. Um, I thought someone would get that. Let me, let me say it another way. There's not a lot of ski mountains in Chicago, okay? Um, but up in Wisconsin, there were some areas, and my brother loved to ski, and he started skiing and been to Colorado and everything. And, and, but I, I loved sports and stuff. Through, all through high school, I didn't want to go skiing with my older brother because, you know, all I heard about was injuries and everything. And so, but finally, out of high school, my brother convinced me to go skiing. And he took me up to this little place in Wisconsin. And all along the way, I'm saying, so what am I supposed to do? And he's like, I'll show you. I'll show you. Well, let's just go up. I'll show you. And we get off the, the chairlift. And now what am I supposed to do? And he said, well, just, yeah, I'll show you. And now I'm not kidding. We get to the edge. And he goes, no, that, you know, and, and I, this hand on my back. And he just slides me off the hill. And I'm not kidding. I felt like a cartoon character all the way down. Now, I stayed up. If you can you, give me a round of applause. I stayed up till the bottom of the hill. But I didn't know how to stop. I didn't know how to do anything. And I'm screaming like a mad banshee. And, and I'm flying through. Here's the chairlift. And it was people just parted. And I like shot right through. And I ended up behind the lift motor thing and all the slush where it got warm. And, and, and like a cartoon, I just stopped and fell over. And I just laid there. And he comes down and he's laughing. He thought it was really wonderful. <clears throat> so I don't like skiing. Um, but I've learned something about skiers and skiing in general. There's two types of skiers. This is really profound. Those who can 
and those who can't. Now, I've also learned this because I've spent time in Colorado in various places. I can tell who's a skier and who's not a skier out on the mountain. But when I go in the lodge, it's hard to tell them apart. And if you don't want to be embarrassed and you don't want to take risks, you stay in the lodge. And you got all your fancy ski clothes because in the lodge, everybody looks like a skier. They got the fancy pants and they got the jackets and the boots and all this stuff. And everybody looks like a skier when they're sitting in the lodge, sipping their hot chocolate or whatever you want to do. You're just in there and you look like a skier. And I'm telling you, in the lodge, I can't tell the difference. But the only way to tell the difference between who can and who can't, who is a skier and who's not a skier, is to leave the lodge, climb the mountain, go to the top, and go over the edge. And in that moment, it's dangerous. And in that moment, it's risky. And in that moment, you have to trust. Folks, it's the same thing with the Christian life. You see, I can come to church and I can see you, but I can't tell who's a skier and who's not. You can come and you can, you can look like a skier. Or in this case, can I be really specific? You can look like a child of God. I can't tell the difference. You know where I can tell the difference? When we leave the lodge. When we walk out of this place, what does your life look like? Is Jesus doing a work in your life that you go, my life is different now because I've come to know Jesus Christ. The stuff I used to do, I don't do anymore. I'm just seeing change. And it's not religious change. It's not you trying to do it from the outside in. It's the Spirit of God working in you in a way that you can't explain. And you leave this place and you simply bear witness to who Jesus is and what he's doing. So this morning, in this moment, I want to push you over the edge. Are you ready? We're standing at the top of the mountain. And it's you and me, and I'm about to push you over the edge. Because someone in this place, I'll tell you right now, you've never come to know Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to know the glory and the hope and the forgiveness and the life change that Jesus offers. I want that for you. God wants that for you because he loves you and he is pursuing you. And if you've never come to know Jesus Christ, we want to talk with you. We want to visit with you. And in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And I want to invite you just to to make your way to the side. I'm going to be right over here. I would love to have a conversation with you. Grab God's word, open it up and say, here's what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and experience his life change. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to come do that with me this morning. For the rest of you, if you're sitting here this morning saying, oh yeah, man, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I love Jesus. Well, tell you what, I'm pushing you over the edge. Because this morning on your way out the door, you're going to get handed a simple little gospel track and it looks like this. Now I want you to remember this. Evangelism and being a witness of Jesus Christ is a life change experience. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifetime thing. But I believe wholeheartedly that to begin to set lifetime habits, we have to take one step of faith. This is your step of faith. Simple little booklet called, Would You Like to Know God Personally? First thing I want you to do is I want you to take it and I want you to read it. And I want you to say, have I come to that place of knowing God personally? No more games, no more playing around. You're either going to ski or you're not going to ski. Get real. Get real with Jesus. Read it and make a decision. Yes, God, I'm following you or no, I'm not. 
There's several different versions of that. It's the same content, but one called Connecting with God. Some of these are on the Next Steps table, the Four Spiritual Laws. Great stuff. Here's one. It's bilingual. It's, it's English and Spanish. If you've got a Spanish-speaking friend, it's both English and Spanish. If you want to learn Spanish, it's there. You can share that with somebody else. There's two others, probably a little bit more business-type stuff, little booklets simply called Know God. Would you like to know God? Those are tools. It's a tool to help you be a witness to, to simply tell what God is doing. Now, if you're a techie person, anybody got a phone in the room? If you, got, if you got a phone, just go ahead. Be loud and proud. Come on. Right here on my front, there's a little thing. It's called God Tools. God Tools. You can get the app, and I punch that little thing. There's seven lessons in here, and there's nine tools. I have four saved in my favorites, and one of them is this little booklet. Would you like to know God personally? Now, the cool thing with this, there's over 90 languages in here. So if I, put, if I just open, you know, knowing God personally, if I open that, I can, I can simply go over here and I can say, I want my primary language to be English, or maybe it's something else for you, and I want my secondary language to be what? Armenian, Arabic, Dutch, Danish, English, French, Finnish, Ganda, I mean, it's like German, Russian, you, you take your pick, 90 languages. You can, you can simply take anybody that you know, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, and you can simply help them understand, would you like to know God personally? And so as you're leaving, we've got some folks that are just going to hand you a simple little booklet or hit the Next Steps table and find one of the other ones. Download the God Tools app. Contact us, guys. Listen, as a church family, we are here to equip you to fulfill the mission of the gospel, to be witnesses, to tell who Jesus is and what he's doing. If you've never come to know Christ, I'd love to visit with you. But for the rest of us, would you stand? Because we're going to invite the Holy Spirit of God to do in us and through us what only he is capable of doing in the first place, right? We need more of him. We need to ask him to meet us in this place to equip us with boldness and courage. So Father, right now, God, we love you. What a joy to bear witness to who you are. God, would you fill this place with praise? In Jesus' name, amen. Church, are you ready to go over the edge with me? Come on, let's go.